The first reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 to 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if they found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, and a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. John chapter 21, reading from the first verse. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, 
But that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And Father, may I now speak in your name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, such that your people hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Feel free to walk around with the young one and don't have to go out. <laughs> As I get older and older, I suppose I realize the resurrection story is inexhaustible in what it can teach us. For example, it teaches us so much about ourselves. 
Some of you may remember from last week the gospel reading from John chapter 20, which said, when the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. It's so encouraging to me, and I hope also to you, that the disciples are so refreshingly human in their behavior. And I'll explain that now. So encouraging, because if God can use those fearful and anxious people to build his church, it surely must give us hope too. You see, how the disciples reacted to the brutal arrest and killing of Jesus is how most of us would. In fear, they retreated behind closed doors, probably in a darkened room so that the lights wouldn't show outside to reveal their presence. They did what nearly everyone does in their brokenness, in their guilt, in their confusion, in their loss of faith. We retreat inside into a dark room of our despair. We close and lock the door. We shut out the world, shut out our hopes, shut out the God whom we said we love. And it occurs to me, I'm talking perhaps to someone who's done this. Perhaps we hoped for healing which never came for ourselves or another. And we've been left feeling naive in our faith. And angry at God. Perhaps we hope for power from on high to transform the world with good works and witness. But we burnt out. God didn't turn up as we'd hoped. We found ourselves weak and afraid. And now we muck our own earlier passion and faith. Or it may be that we set out not to sin again. Not to fall prey to an addiction or temptation. Not to be weak again. But then we walked straight back in. We looked at the face of our God. But we didn't have the strength to persist. And instead we turned and ran back to our flesh. Or it may be that we hoped for our friend, our partner our child, our spouse, to be saved, to know Jesus, to be filled with his spirit. But year after year after year, we see them walk further away and not closer. We may even have brought them to church. We may have spoken to them about Jesus. We may even have prayed with them to encounter God. But Jesus seemed to fail to turn up. The Holy Spirit failed to restore them, to convict them. And so our hope, our faith, our belief, our passion, our confidence is now sat behind closed doors in a locked room deep down in our hearts. Afraid, guilty, Confused, broken. Yet miraculously, despite the locked door, Jesus emerged into that locked, darkened room 
to his disciples saying, peace be with you. And as he does so, he breathes life into the doubters, life into the weak, life into the crushed, life into the despairing and disappointed. And Jesus reveals as he does this that it's never about us. It's about him, his love, his healing, his restoration, his power of transformation. Peace be with you. And if this is you or you just simply want to encounter that peace again, I just feel that maybe it's a good place just to hold our hands now and close eyes and just receive afresh because he has not abandoned us. He is still with us and he can release fresh peace into each life. So in the name of Jesus, receive fresh peace. Receive a fresh anointing of his spirit that he may undo what has been locked down. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the good thing is that our gospel today again speaks to our human condition. The disciples had the experience of Jesus appearing to them behind closed doors, like I said, we heard last week. Yet clearly they couldn't or wouldn't take in the full implications of the resurrection and what the appearance of Jesus meant to them. Because what did they do after Jesus appeared to them behind closed doors? You'd think they'd be whooping it around Jerusalem, telling everyone. No, they went back to what they had done before. They went to the safe place of routine and familiarity. They left Jerusalem and all its associations and went back to Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, where Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I used to do when Jesus first met me. And around six other disciples, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, they'd obviously been fishermen before, and two unnamed disciples also go with him saying, we will go with you. And so they go fishing, going back to Simon's previous occupation. And this was despite having met with the risen Jesus and all the logical implications of that which, to my mind, would have caused them to stay in Jerusalem to begin that work of preparing the world. But, of course, this was ahead of Pentecost. So we have the disciples, and I love the description of them as wonderfully human, well-meaning and bumbling, going back to the safe place they came from as a natural reaction to the shock and confusion of the present. And it must have been confusing. Yes, you've seen the risen Christ. It doesn't quite look like it did before because it takes time to recognize him. For you know it's him. But what does that mean now? Because he's not the Messiah who came to overthrow the Romans. There's shock. There's confusion. And so they retreated back to the safe place they knew, fishing. Perhaps we might recognize the same symptoms in ourselves at times. 
Do we have the same tendency to go back to old established behavior patterns if God's new direction for us is proving too challenging or too open-ended? Perhaps he's been trying to get you to go in one direction, but you keep ignoring him and doing what you've always done. It's all too easily done, making ourselves literally deaf or blind to his words or signs to us. What has God been calling you to do? Been calling you to be that you've been willfully swatting aside. But whether it's behind a locked door or a safe place you've retreated to, the amazing goodness and grace of God is revealed in that Jesus, out of love for us, comes and makes his appearance in a place where we will be bound to meet him. I think it was Ali who mentioned earlier about the spirit being all around. But Jesus comes also intentionally to meet with us in our need, in our distress. In Peter's case, the place where Jesus came to meet him was the place he was fishing in. Where you are fishing may be completely different. For some, it's the workplace where you've buried yourself and your emotions away. For others, it may be the golf course or other places where you indulge your hobbies or pleasures. Indeed, it may even be in helping others as your safe place. Because your safe place doesn't have to be self-centered. But it's still a diversion from what God is calling you to be. Ultimately, though, you know it's a place where you do usually run the risk of God challenging you. The wonderful news is that if we've given ourselves to God but have strayed, Jesus loves us too much to leave us alone in our safe place or behind that locked door we've engineered. Just as with Peter and his fishing friends, he will engineer an encounter with you, sometimes in the most unlikely place, but where you are or where you have taken yourself to. In our gospel reading, Jesus set up his camp breakfast on the beach. He gives the friends he loves so fondly the opportunity to discover him, to recognize him, and to recommit themselves to his way of living. And gently, deliberately, Jesus leads Peter to undo those haunting denials from the passion narrative. And some of you, I'm sure, remember them. From Luke, woman, I don't know him. From Mark, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. And then from Matthew, surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then Peter began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. All this from the very man who'd said, even if all fall away on account of you, 
I never will. From the man who declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. But are we any different? Are we any different? When you fell in love with Jesus, surrendered your life to his lordship, wasn't part of the perhaps unspoken contract to change your ways, to become more like him? To not do the things he wouldn't do, to not behave in ways he would not. In other words, as we've been singing, to be holy, holy, holy. Yet how many of us disown Jesus daily, deny him daily through our failure to behave like him, to be like him? I know I do. But Jesus, thankfully, is not daunted by our betrayals of him or the haunting denials of Peter, which he gently leads him to undo. And actually, it's worth noting how he undoes the denials. If it was me, my wife would say, I would probably say, have I not told you? Don't betray me again or don't ever deny me again. Most of us wouldn't use the way he undid the denials. Maybe we all need to look back to the spirit in which we've forgiven others who've hurt us. Maybe we've forgiven them, but the tone of our forgiveness lacks the grace, lacks the humility of Jesus. Jesus wins Peter back, undoes the three denials by what I think is one of the most dramatic and beautiful exchanges in the Gospels. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And what Jesus is getting Peter to understand are the logical consequences of commitment. In other words, what should follow from us saying that we love Jesus and that we are committed to him. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter is being made aware in no uncertain terms that to love Jesus is to be commissioned to go out as his witness to proclaim the good news. Because if we know him, recognize him as saviour of the world, then he's also commissioning us in the very same act to go out and proclaim what we've experienced. If we truly love Jesus, we will want to feed others and tend others with what we've received ourselves. And every day, we should be looking out for those opportunities to share the love we've received, the forgiveness we've received, his presence with us at all times, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because he gives us those good gifts so that we might share them. It's why your faith and my faith can all, never ultimately be a private matter or something just for Sundays. It has to permeate, to influence the way we behave and interact 
with our family members, with our colleagues, our neighbours, everybody we encounter. Now, I'm, I'm as guilty as many. Sometimes you rush into the supermarket, Sainsbury's, Tesco's, whatever, you get busy. But if you're in a queue, actually, it makes you stop and you queue for the till. And you should be saying, God, what do you want me to say to the cashier? Do you want a word? Will you release a word of knowledge? Something that will speak to that person busy at their work that God knows and loves them and is on the case. And it could be at the petrol station as you walk in to pay. We need to get into that habit of asking God to be his ambassadors in our everyday situations. As Peter answers Jesus' questions on the beach, there's now a maturity about his commitment, which is quite different from his previous enthusiastic claim that he would never forsake his master. This commitment is quieter and made with more self-knowledge. In a sense, Peter's growing up. But it's not just Peter. Saul receives his commission in our reading from Acts 2 as well. Don't ever forget that Saul actually loved God. He was a devout Jew. It's just that he couldn't see initially that Jesus was God, was the Messiah, that God was revealing the Savior of Israel through his son. But as you heard, his fiery desire to cleanse the Jewish faith of the dangerous heretics who followed Jesus collapses. It completely crumples in the shining light of the heavenly presence of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And once again, as with Peter on the beach, we see that Jesus makes his appearance where he's not expected. Paul, he could have appeared to Saul in Jerusalem. But it's on the road to Damascus where Saul is going to carry out more punishments of the faithful that Jesus makes his appearance to him. Saul, Peter, it seems that wherever Jesus meets us and challenges us, we are called to become his witnesses and drawn into a commission which carries great responsibility. It's not just that those who have not met Jesus will judge us by the way we behave and speak. They may have never met a Christian. And you're going up to them in that petrol station, in that till, and revealing God's love to them and God's thoughts might be just what they need. It's also that there's an expectation that if we love Jesus, then like Paul, then like Peter, we are commissioned to go out as his witnesses to proclaim the good news. We can't hide behind the mantra mantra that our faith is a private matter or that we don't do God in public. One day, Jesus will hold us all accountable for effectively denying him and denying others perhaps their only opportunity to hear about him. Because you were the person who crossed their path before they had their heart attack later that day. You were the person who could have revealed God's love to them. If you say you love Jesus, then you are commissioned to go out as his witness to tell others about him. Do you love me? 
Jesus asks. Tell others about me. What I've done for you. What I do for you. What a difference I make to your life daily. That life is only worth living because you know me. Tell others. Do you love him enough to do this? Let's pray. Lord, we all confess that we have failed in our commission to go out daily to proclaim the good news. Not just by our kindness, our generosity, but also overtly by using opportunities when people share their problems to point to you, to pray with them. Or to offer prayer. Lord strengthen us. Strengthen us to be like you. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. That we might be emboldened. Like your disciples. In Jesus name. Amen. I'm going to ask Oksana. Before we we sing again. Maybe just the words of the collect. Can you just jump forward. I think the collect for today is. May it's very pertinent, and before we sing our song, we're just going to say this.